Welcome to the Pomona Christian Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from our current series titled, David, the Life of a King, delivered by lead minister Marcus Allen. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at PomonaChristian.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian. I read about this uh, debate that C.S. Lewis had overheard where these uh, people were kind of informally debating, is Christianity unique? And one man would pick out one thing, and then the, you know, the other guy would bring out something else and say, well, that's not unique, because over here you have this. And C.S. Lewis uh, kind of stepped in and he said, oh, that's easy. The thing that makes Christianity unique, it's grace. That no other religion has anything like that concept in it. All religions are how we are good enough. All religions are how we earn God's merit, how we earn God's favor, how we earn our salvation. Every religion in the world basically comes down to that, except for Christianity, except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, all religions are about how we reach for God And only Christianity is how God reaches for us because we are incapable. That it's grace. It's God giving us our salvation, giving us what we don't deserve. And I think that's a way that we can tell that this is the one true way to relationship with God, the one true way to be saved. And 2 Samuel 9 contains a story of grace that we see in the life of David, and I believe it's comes from the grace that he's been shown as well. And again, one of the unique characteristics about David is that he was a man after God's own heart. And we've seen that through the last few weeks and in these texts, his reliance on God and seeking God's direction, his place of God in his worship when he brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and how he handles the answer no to his prayer. And today we're going to see how his heart's like God's in extending grace to someone. So of the two great commandments, you know, some are really good at loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and maybe some focus more on loving others. But I've heard it said that if you're not doing both, you're not good at either, that they go together. You can't have one without the other. And in verse 1 of 2 Samuel 9, it says, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So here's David. Things are going very well. He's very affluent. At this peaceful time of his reign, everything he could be just focused on himself. And here he is. He says, is there anyone I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Now, Jonathan is the son of Saul, Saul who tried to kill David. But despite that, Jonathan was David's best friend in life and was killed in the same battle as his father before David became king. And he had promised Jonathan that he would watch over any of his descendants. And so things are going well, and this comes to David's mind. But here's the problem. The house of Saul, he doesn't say the house of Jonathan, he says the house of Saul for Jonathan's sake. 
the problem is what most kings did, if there was another house that came into power, another family, they would try to wipe out every other member of the other family so there could never be an uprising, so there could never be another claim to the throne because those people could always be a threat. And when there were malcontents and discontentment and rebellion, they would always seek out that person because they would have some claim. And so other kings would wipe out every single person. Even if a, a brother became king, sometimes he would wipe out his own family to protect his throne. And I think at this position, people would think, David, everything's going well. Things are good. Why mess it up? Why go seeking out somebody from the house of Saul? Why do you go up and dig old bones? It says in verse 2, Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Now notice that. He's not saying my, God's kindness. Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Emil, in Lodabar. So, the, so King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Emil. So he finds out there is one. There is this son of Jonathan a grandson of Saul. Now, the last son of Saul that was alive, if you remember, was this man named Ish-bosheth. And he was the king that some people put up in charge of Israel while David uh, was in Judah, that David eventually conquered and won the kingdom. So he was the last son, but there is a grandson and an actual son of Jonathan named uh, Mephibosheth. And he's in this place called Lo-Debar. I got to thinking as, you know, Bible names and places, they always refer to something that happened there. They have some meaning where a lot of our towns, you know, they either named them after somewhere in Europe and brought it over here or just thought, you know, hey, this is a, a nice name for a city like West Plains. But it actually means it's the Plains West of Alton. I've heard of Thomasville. That's where the name came from. So that's why we're about the only West Plains. It actually meant something instead of like a... Thomasville or something like that where they just grab a town name from somewhere else or there was someone named there. And Lodabar has a name and a meaning. But I thought of some interesting Ozark names, that Licking, Missouri. You know, if you grow up around here, you've heard it enough, you don't think much about it. If you come from somewhere else, that is a really weird town. You know, I don't know if you want to meet anybody from that town. But there used to be a salt lick there, I guess, and that's where it got its name. I've been through, I've seen a sign in Arkansas for Possum Trot, Arkansas. I have, I just have an idea. Somebody saw a possum running really fast, and they're like, let's call this Possum Trot. And if you continue reading, I was continuing reading in, in my uh, study for the text and reading scripture in 1 Kings 9, uh, Solomon gives a man some land in exchange for something that he has done, and the man doesn't like it, and he names the town Kabul, which means good for nothing. <laughs> so if you have family in Kabul, you could tell them, you know what that means? Good for nothing. 
And then there's Pomona. Interesting name. Refers back to the Roman goddess of fruit. And a long time ago, when they put the railroad in, they were trying to increase fruit production in the Ozarks to put freight on the trains to draw people to the area. So the person that founded Pomona thought Pomona, the goddess of fruit. So a lot of places have names that mean something. And the same is in the Bible. And lo de bar means no pasture. You know, don't take your cattle to low the bar unless you bring your hay. You know, you're not going to get very far. And I love Bible place names when you, you see them. But low the bar is a great place to be if you're Mephibosheth. It's kind of a place that's, that's off the grid where he won't be found, where maybe he'll be safe. He's just lying low, staying off the radar. He's hiding and keeping a low profile and just living out the rest of his days, hopefully not being found or finding the king has decided to get that annoying thought out of his mind and, and put an end to him. But not only that, he's crippled. And so his handicap, kind of helpless, needs, needs assistance, and he's living in low Debar. It says in verse 6, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Now you have to wonder what Mephibosheth is thinking or what he's feeling. I think he surely came with anxiety, that he came in fear, that even if he was told the king has something good for you, there had to be this doubt that his time has come. I think we've all spent times in life at places we would call low to bar, a place of no pasture, you know, kind of a hard, dry time in life. Maybe it's a result of our decisions or mistakes, that, that we've done things that we're ashamed of, that have pushed others away. Maybe sometimes we feel that we failed so many times that there's no way that God would want us back, that God would forgive me this time, that God has that much grace and we're just in this dry place. Or you've gone through a divorce and you just feel abandoned and alone. Or you feel hurt by others and that everybody's hurt you and so you just kind of go off by yourself, isolate yourself and spend your time waiting, just waiting in this low, dry place away from every else. You know, I found some actually like living in Lodabar, where they can be the victim, where everybody has turned against them, that all the problems are, are somebody else, and they just spend time and spend their life in this dry place. Or maybe they don't want to be hurt again, and so that's just where they spend their lives. Notice when David said, he said, is there anyone in the house of Saul? He didn't say, is there anybody Worthy? Is there anybody safe? Is there anybody easy? He said, Is there anyone? It really didn't matter who. And it didn't matter because David had made a promise to his best friend Jonathan that he would take care of his descendants. And David expanded it. Well, if he doesn't have any descendants, it'll be anybody in the house of Saul for Jonathan, Jonathan's sake. So here David shows mercy, and, and mercy is not getting what we deserve. 
It's if you were convicted and you were uh, sentenced and you received your sentence, but the sentence was removed. That is mercy, not getting what you deserve, but grace is getting something you don't deserve, getting something good, getting something that you could never earn. And David shows mercy and grace. Not only does he withhold the wrath that he could hold out for Saul's family, but he brings him to the palace and brings him into his home, gives him something he didn't deserve. And despite Saul spending his life trying to kill David, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, trying to take the kingdom without thinking of the threat to his reign or the other possible headaches, David shows mercy and grace to Mephibosheth. I think if you look in this text, you'll see, well, that's our story. You know, we're all Mephibosheth. That's what God has done for us. We're all in the same condition, that we're helpless. There's nothing we can do to earn God's favor, to undo the sin in our life, to deserve to be saved. In that sense, we're crippled, that that we're helpless, that we've sinned and we're out of the kingdom and we don't deserve to be brought back in and we can't on our own make it back. And, And so sometimes it doesn't matter though when we understand God's grace. It doesn't matter how bad you feel. It doesn't matter how far away God seems. And maybe it doesn't matter how good you feel. When we're in that land of low pasture, God's grace wants to bring us back. Paul explains that in Romans 3 where he says this righteousness, and that word righteousness is this good standing, this sense of deserving to be in God's family, of of being in His kingdom. He says this righteousness, this good standing, as opposed to every other religion that says you earn it, you deserve it, it comes through faith. In Jesus Christ to all who believe. That that good standing and Mephibosheth is brought in from that pasture into David's palace and he's in good standing. And he says, There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. See, that, that's the story that God has for us, that we've all sinned, that we've all fallen short of God's glory and His standards. But when we trust in Him, we are justified. That means to be made righteous, to be made in that good standing with God, freely by His grace, by giving us what we don't deserve because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, that He took our punishment. But notice what it says, only to those who accept. It's only possible through Jesus Christ. It doesn't just happen to everybody. It's only through faith in Jesus. And Jesus went through everything we did, but was without sin and took the penalty for our sin in our place, but we have to accept that. So you can imagine Mephibosheth coming in, that here's King David. I'm sure he's probably shaking, scared, and his heart is racing. And in verse 7, it says, Don't be afraid, David said to him, For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. 
You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Now look at what David does for Mephibosheth. He only, not only brings him in, but he gives him his grandfather's land, another thing that could be a threat to David. And then he tells his servant, you're to serve him and bring everything. But in addition to that, he will live here. He will always eat at our table. That's an amazing story of grace. That's where the grace is, that getting all these things that he didn't deserve piled on top of each other. But we see this and you think, and Mephibosheth's response is, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? That is his response to God's grace. Earlier, when David reflects on God's grace, he has a similar reaction. He's like, who am I? Who are we that you should bring me from the pasture to be king? That when we understand God's grace, it's humbling. It's who am I? Instead of look at me, look at who I am. It's who am I to understand God's grace that you would do this for me. But it's not just good to be Mephibosheth. It's good to be David. I think we overlook that. It's good to receive, but for David to give that mercy and that grace is good for him too. See, grace is not just something given to us, but over and over through the gospel, it's something we are to show to others. And I think there are times we have sent people to load a bar. We've wanted to send them to a place of no pasture to push them out of our lives. Maybe they've hurt you. They said something that you can hear over and over, or you felt like they betrayed you. They abandoned you, abused you. And you want them to spend the rest of their life in a place like low Debar. My friend said you can't alter history, but you can change the way history is altering you. And some of those things still fill the pain. We can replay everything that happened to every detail. But the gospel calls us to forgive. I'll emphasize that doesn't mean put ourselves back in situations, but it means to release from a debt. And David lived out that grace. He brought Mephibosheth back in, but just didn't promise him safety. But he gave him all this land that his grandfather had. He was going to provide for him and take care of his needs in the palace. And we can say, you know, that's great that David did that, but you know what? I can't. And the thing with David is he couldn't not do that because he understood the grace that he had been shown. And I'm convinced that your understanding of God's grace shapes the kind of grace you show to others. As I said, David, when he looked at himself, he says, who am I, who is our family that I should be given the kingdom? He has this understanding of God's grace that I don't deserve this. I couldn't earn it. Who am I? And then when it comes to Mephibosheth, because of that grace, he's able to show it. When we withhold grace, in some way, I think we don't really understand God's grace and what he's done for us. Somehow, maybe we think we've, we're good enough. We've somehow earned it or, or better than the people we need to show grace to. But Jesus said in the, when teaching the disciples how to pray, to forgive us our sins, as our debts as we forgive 
our debtors. He gets into the parable of the unforgiving servant about a man who's forgiven a massive amount of money for no reason. He escapes prison, and then he goes out on the street and finds somebody who owes him $20, and he has the man thrown in jail. He ignored the grace that was shown to him. If we understand God's grace, we will find a way to show that grace to others, to have mercy, and give them what they don't deserve. There was a husband and wife, Simon and Monique, uh, who lived in France, and they had a young son named Louis. And when he was four years old, I had this written before I had the eye patch, but he, you know, he had poked out his eye, injured his eye with an awl, because his father was a leather worker. And he couldn't, they couldn't keep him from rubbing both eyes, and so eventually he lost his sight. But he did become an amazing organist. And then about 12 years old, he wondered how blind people could learn how to read, what it was it would be a system. And then he discovered he would take an awl and he would poke bumps And those parents were Simon and Monique Braille and their son, Louis Braille. And it's interesting, through that thing that injured him, he was able to use that he could experience freedom. You know, it's often through those things that have injured us and wounded us that we can show grace and we can show forgiveness to, that we can actually be free. We can experience freedom from those things that have injured us, that have kept us in low Debar by understanding God's grace and showing it. And I believe to truly understand what God has done for us on the cross and for our forgiveness, we also have to experience showing that grace. See, Second Samuel 9 says, Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Notice that. Because of the grace, Ziba says, your servant will do whatever he commands me to do. Even Ziba is affected. You know, when we understand God's grace, that's our repentance that we say, well, I'll do whatever you ask, God. I give my life fully to you. We can see that grace from Mephibosheth. He'd eat at the king's table, and you can, you can imagine it. There's David's family, and you've got Absalom, one of the most handsome men in Jerusalem. You've got Tamar, a beautiful princess. You have Solomon, a young Solomon, Who's the wise, who will become the wise king? When they're at the table, there's a thump, 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 where Mephibosheth comes to sit at the table with the king's family. And we're a part of God's family. And we're not perfect. We don't deserve it, and we can't earn it. But one thing we have to do is accept it. And if you have yet to make that decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to take that step, to give your life to Him and to be baptized. We encourage you to take that step because God offers that to you. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, 
please visit us at PomonaChristian.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian. Thank you.